Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2020, events have again shone a light on inequalities across the globe. And Australia is not an exception. 20 years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Artie Bettigary and I'm your guest presenter for this episode in our Making the Invisible Visible bonus series. Policy Forum Pod is a weekly podcast produced by PolicyForum.net. We're based at the Crawford School of Public Policy, the Asia-Pacific's leading graduate policy school. Are you keen to make a change in your field of public policy? then one of our master's programs might be the perfect fit. We offer a broad range of topics from economics to climate change. And if doing a whole postgraduate degree sounds like a bit much, you might want to give one of our short courses a go. You can find out more at crawford.anu.edu.au slash study. In this special bonus series, we're exploring work done by researchers from Crawford School over the past 12 years on an ambitious project to redefine how poverty is measured, taking an innovative, rights-based and people-centred approach. This has been collaborative research, and the past four years were a partnership between ANU and the International Women's Development Agency, with funding from the Australian Government through the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Using a new approach known as the Individual Deprivation Measure during its development and now renamed as the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty, the project didn't just assess how many people are poor, but rather how they experience poverty. In measuring deprivation across 15 dimensions, the results have revealed some incisive and in-depth information about patterns of poverty. In this Making the Invisible Visible series, we'll be shedding light on the issue of poverty by breaking down the figures provided by this new measure, getting behind the data, and seeing how it can help policymakers better direct resources. When looking at poverty, Indonesia paints a fascinating picture. It's the largest economy in Southeast Asia, the world's fourth most populous nation, and its tenth largest economy. In particular, it's made huge strides forward in poverty reduction, effectively cutting it in half between 1999 and 2019 to 9.4%. In particular, it's made huge strides forward in poverty reduction, effectively cutting it in half between 1999 and 2019 to 9.4%. But that official rate only tells part of the story. The root cause of poverty changes from region to region. 
In some areas, it's a lack of access to resources. Elsewhere, it's because of deeply ingrained cultural practices. Angie Bexley is a Senior Research Fellow at the Poverty and Inequality Research Centre at the ANU's Crawford School of Public Policy. She used the Individual Deprivation Measure to look at poverty in two regions in South Sulawesi. Welcome, Angie. Thanks, Artie. Great to be here with you. Angie, I'd like to start by asking you to describe the background and the nature of poverty in Indonesia. As you say in your introduction, Indonesia has made great progress on poverty reduction the national poverty rate is now under 10%. And policymakers describe this to me often as, you know, being that final nut to crack open. It's really hard. The challenge for Indonesia now is how to reduce that figure further, but to also prevent that 20% or so that live just above the poverty line slipping back under. And even before COVID-19, we know that Indonesia also has growing income inequality. But one of the biggest challenges um, that Indonesia faces is around what type of data it actually has. So Indonesia is comparably quite rich when it comes to poverty data. It has a lot of surveys on poverty. For example, it has the Indonesian Family Life Survey or the IFLS. It has the Sulsenas or the National Socioeconomic Survey. It also has um, the National Board of Statistics, the BPS. These surveys and a lot of other surveys provide us with you know, bountiful amounts of information, including longitudinal information. We can see, you know, how things change over time. But all of these surveys tend to be at the household level. And that means we can't see what differences there are within a household. For example, how the men and the women in that household experience food and water deprivation, for example. And then which men or which women, which age group, where they are and if they have a disability or not. Um, And disability data, when it is available, is often not disaggregated by sex. So it's all kind of lumped in together. Um, You've also got, you know, really isolated, difficult to reach places where the logistics of even getting data is actually really, really hard. So you can imagine, you know, being an elderly woman with a disability living in the islands. It's going to be really hard for policymakers to understand how you're experiencing multidimensional poverty. How does the IDM fit in here? Artie, the IDM fits in really well to the current landscape of poverty measures in Indonesia. It's designed to complement this existing suite of measures, but also not to replace these measures. The IDM can most powerfully reveal the gendered nature of poverty. So if the government, with its existing suite of poverty information that it already has, identifies a particular place, for example where they can see poverty rates are really high, they could use the IDM data to further drill down to see which social groups are deprived and in which dimensions, based on sex, age, location and disability, to really address those key challenges around access, quality and reliability of the key goods and services the government is supposed to provide. So when you undertook this research, you selected two districts in South Sulawesi Why did you select these two and what can we extrapolate from them to tell the wider story of poverty in Indonesia? South Sulawesi is in the eastern part of Indonesia and it has a higher poverty rate than pretty much the rest of Indonesia. 
And these sites were selected based on information, existing information around poverty rates and also the direct requests from these two local governments to provide them with information that they were really lacking um, about two key issues. One was the isolated and difficult to reach areas and the other was disability. So Kabupaten Pankajane den Kapulawan, or Pankup as it's known, has a population of around 320,000. It has mountains, lowlands, and a series of islands that are very difficult to reach. In the study, some of these islands took more than 20 hours to reach by boat, so really, you know, far-flung places. The IDM country study in Indonesia took its cue from these policymakers in Pankup who were really interested in receiving information about what multidimensional poverty could look like in these far-flung islands. In Jenaponto, it's situated right down at the southernmost tip of Sulawesi. It has a similar population. Policymakers there were interested in disability for the same reason. They really lacked data on how people with disability experience poverty. So in a way, you have two very diverse sites, both in geography, makeup of people, and this really reflects Indonesia more broadly, you know, with a place with over 17,000 islands, you know, a sizable population of people with disability. Just knowing the income of people living in these places can tell us some things about people living in poverty, but to understand the complexity, the compounding impacts of poverty, we really need to be looking at that individual level and across multiple dimensions other than just income to be better equipped in how to respond to people living in poverty. Andrew, something that stands out from your findings are that there are some distinct differences in how different age groups experience poverty. Can you go into some detail on this? That's right, Artie. What comes through really clearly is that across the life course, women and men have different experiences of poverty. Across both districts, we found that women and men, say in the youngest cohort, were more likely to experience mental health issues, higher levels of anxiety and worry, and particularly about the possibility of eviction, and also having a voice. So we found that while more young women reported having concerns within their local communities, whether it be around services or access, young women were far less likely to feel that they could raise their concerns or to think that their concerns would be taken seriously. In the middle age group, a different set of issues start to emerge, And there's really marked gender patterns that are prevalent across both districts. Time deprivation is really acute within this age group. Women carry the greatest burden of unpaid work and often work more hours in both paid and unpaid work overall. Women in this middle cohort are also more likely than any other age group to report being worried about running out of food. They are also more likely to restrict their diets due to lack of money whereas men, we found, were more deprived on two dimensions within the food dimension, for example. They were more likely to skip a meal or to go a whole day without eating. And that really points to the gender differences of labour. Men are more likely to be outside of the household working for the whole day. Menstruation poverty is not commonly included in poverty measures, but is a really important factor in how women in particular experience poverty. Lack of access to sanitary products was more acute for women in the middle age cohort compared to those in the younger cohort. In the islands, almost 16% of women reported not using sanitary products during their most recent period. 
Here we can see the intersection of how gender, age and location really shape the experience of multidimensional poverty. Our analysis indicates that people in the oldest age cohort, so those over 60 years old, across both districts are particularly vulnerable to deprivation, especially in regard to things like relationships and social participation. The people in this age category were the least likely to attend community events, particularly where they had to contribute money. They were more likely to stay at home. Older people also experienced deprivation in relation to health status, clothing and energy. So policy responses really need to be attuned to these different sorts of deprivation that people throughout the life course experience. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all policy response. Let's take a short break here. We'll be back with you shortly. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems, and people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. I'm here with Angie Bexley, Indonesia researcher on the Individual Deprivation Measure Project. Another prominent finding from your research is that disabled people here seem to be greatly affected, and I think you've touched on that a few times. Now, we actually are going to talk in a separate podcast a lot more about disability, but can you give me a broad outline of how poverty and disability are intertwined here? We have the results from one district, Jenna Ponto, while we have fairly small numbers in, in Jenaponto, there are some really clear patterns that start to emerge. From our analysis, we can see that women and men with disability are more deeply deprived than people without disability, and that's across all 14 of the dimensions. One of the things that's really striking here, and for a number of reasons, simply because we just haven't actually seen actual data on these things before, is the high levels of responsibility that people with disability, in particular women with disability, carry and the associated burden. So I think this information can really challenge policymakers around their thinking and attitudes around people with disability, and I'll go into this later on our separate pod on disability, but it should really be able to prompt policymakers to think about the sorts of policy responses that would better help people with disability participate more fully. Angie, these two districts are in rural areas. Is there a difference between the rural and urban experience when it comes to poverty? In particular, what are the experiences of those living in Indonesia's very many far-flung islands? Some of the data absolutely confirms what governments already know, but perhaps did not quite have concrete data on. 
Our analysis consistently found that people in rural areas are more deeply deprived than those in urban areas across most of the dimensions and the indicators. For example, food is such a great example, but we can see food deprivation, food insecurity was more widely reported in rural areas, while access to treated water and sanitation is more limited. Polluting forms of energy with the associated health implications from, you know, cooking with smoke and being in that closed kitchen was more commonly used in rural areas. Levels of education were lower across all age groups for both women and men. The data from Punkup revealed that the islands were especially deprived. Women and men living in the islands experienced deprivation across all of the dimensions and significant deprivation is revealed across many of these dimensions. So, for example, education and health, people living in the islands are doing far worse. They're more likely to have had no schooling, no formal schooling, with almost 10% reporting this. They were also far less likely to have attended high school and university. Indicators of writing, multiplication, division, that sort of competency, reveal really wide gender gaps in the islands where women are much more deprived than men. Similarly, in regards to health, women and men in the islands were significantly deprived across all of the key indicators. Almost 40% of respondents in the island reported having one or more health problems. This was compared to 26% of respondents in both the lowlands and mountains. Despite having the most reported health problems, women and men were the least likely to have accessed health care in the past 12 months. They were also the most likely to report problems with the location of healthcare facility, the cleanliness and the availability of drugs. And coming back to food, because it's such a clear indicator of deprivation, women and men in the islands were the most deprived across all of the eight indicators. Our research showed that women in the islands were more deprived across six of these indicators, and over half of the men and women in the islands were worried about running out of food because of lack of money and other resources. Men in the islands were more likely to skip meals and go a whole day without eating. So there's a real theme there around the different sorts of um, approaches that both men and women take and how they deal with poverty in their everyday lives. So the level of nuance in being able to understand the difference between men and women in different places provides policymakers with an enormous amount of information so they can better target their policy responses. Angie, what do you expect will be the outcome of your research and all this data that you've collected? We'll continue to work with our partners in Indonesia. So while our launch in country had to be cancelled because of the global pandemic, we will continue to work um, with our partners. And in fact, later this year, we'll work with UNHAS or the University of Hassanuddin in South Sulawesi, where our colleague, Dr. Ansariadi, will lead a series of workshops with local policymakers to understand the results and to also start at looking mapping policy options. So it's really about, you know, taking what's already there and matching it to what is going to be really useful for those policymakers. There's a lot of positive things already happening in Indonesia. So at the national level, the National Midterm Development Plan that runs for the next four years highlights the need for better data coordination. It has also made women, the elderly and people with disabilities as its focus. At the local level, there is enormous potential 
Because of decentralisation, where resources, decision-making and spending is now given to the local village level, for those local governments to produce that high-quality data to contribute to mechanisms such as the unified database, which would mean that local and national level policymakers would be able to identify which groups of people in which areas should be receiving what assistance so that Indonesia is really able to move forward and able to crack that nut, as they say, and to bring that poverty rate down further. Thank you, Angie. That was Angie Bexley of Crawford School of Public Policy and Indonesia researcher on the IDM project. Listeners, thank you all for joining us for this episode in our special Making the Invisible Visible series as part of Policy Forum Pod. We'd love to know what you think about it, so why don't you reach out to us? You can reach us via Twitter at APPS Policy Forum or shoot us a good old-fashioned email at podcast at policyforum.net. You can reach out to the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty directly on Twitter at Research Poverty. If you want to find out more about the research we've discussed today, you can visit immp.crawford.anu.edu. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you have, we'd love you to subscribe to us. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your favourite series from. And whilst you're there, you might even want to leave us a review. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Your regular episode of Policy Forum Pod will be out on Friday, and I'll be back with you next week for another episode in our Making the Invisible Visible bonus series, where we'll take a look into the multidimensional poverty experience of people living with a disability. So until next time from me, Archie Bettigary, thanks for joining us. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.